Welcome to the 23 Minutes in Hell podcast, where author and speaker Bill Weiss and his wife Annette address the many questions and concerns that we all have about the topic of hell and eternity. Bill and Annette believe the subject of hell shouldn't grip us with fear, but instead should inspire us to invest the time we have left on earth wisely. Tune in for today's enlightening broadcast. Before we begin today, I just wanted to remind you to visit our website, soulchoiceministries.org or 23minutesinhell.org for valuable resources, teaching videos by Bill, and more information about the ministry. Okay, last time we discussed, is hell literal? Some believers and most non-believers reject it is literal because they believe either hell is metaphorical or if people experience hell on earth, then afterwards they would just cease to exist, or they think everyone is God's child, and would God torture his kids? Or they believe, how can a loving God send good people to hell? Or they think that the Bible is not literal, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to the topic of hell. Or they believe that the crime doesn't fit the punishment, or that their punishment should be redemptive. Now, if you missed part one, you can go back to our website and watch uh, the program under the watch tab, again, at soulchoiceministries.org. So we're going to get started today, and I'm excited to get back into part two. And Bill, you had read me a quote that was so good that went along with really how it's dangerous to water down or eliminate hell or not uh, believe what the scriptures say, that it is literal. Right. Well, first of all, as a Christian, it's important for us to believe in hell because, number one, it causes us to appreciate much more than we might our own salvation from what we were saved from. Absolutely. You know, if you believe in annihilationism, well, then what were you saved from? You just simply cease to exist. Or if you believe in universalism, well, that's a teaching that says everybody gets saved. That's false. Why why would you then have uh, an appreciation for your salvation? You just, you know, you're going to get saved anyway. No matter what you believe, you're going to go to heaven. Yeah, like all roads lead to heaven. Right, that's what universalism espouses. Or some people believe in soul sleep. You just fall asleep. Sure. You know, so all these false teachings out there. But So when you understand the severity of hell, that it's eternal, that it's real, then you will appreciate your salvation. Number two, it causes us as Christians to walk more in the fear of the Lord, to have a healthy reverential fear of Almighty God and who He is. You know, Proverbs 16, 6 says, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. It keeps you away from evil and playing around with sin, as so many Christians do, compromise. Jesus said in Mark 9, 47, If your eye offends thee, and the word offend means causes you to sin, he said, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter into life maimed than in the hell fire. So that fear of the Lord keeps you away from sin. And uh, number three, it gives us as Christians more of a passion for the lost a desire to want to witness. When you understand how severe hell is, you'll think, man, I don't want my family or my friends going to this place of torment. So 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11, Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, even though that scripture is talking about the judgment seat, the reward seat for Christians, most of the commentaries also agree that he was talking about judgment and hell in general. So when you understand judgment and hell in general, you will be more persuasive with men. Sure. So it's so important to believe in a literal hell because that's what the Bible teaches. But listen to this quote from Dr. Robert A. Peterson in the book Hell on Trial, page 237. He said, Once we have given up wrath, can sin, judgment, or the cross 
be far behind. Without the one, the others lose their meaning. And that's so true because we're seeing today a, a belief in universalism. And again, that's the teaching that says everybody gets to heaven, no matter what. You might have to go to hell for a little while, but you'll be let out and you'll end up in heaven. It totally uh, takes away from the cross and the deity of Christ. Right, like his statement said. Yeah, I love that quote. I thought it was it really good. It leads to uh, no need for the cross. Why do you need the cross, you know? If everyone's going to get saved. Right. Exactly. But we do need the cross. Jesus suffered on that cross so we could stay out of hell. That's how much he loves us. He died a horrible death for us on the cross. Absolutely. And also so we could experience eternal life here and now on the earth. Right. Right. And enjoy his presence now. Yeah, that's right. You know, another quote I want to give is there's people that believe in annihilationism. Mm -hmm. And this Robert A. Peterson again on the book Hell on Trial, page 178, he said this, Annihilation, annihilationism is a most serious error because it leads unrepentant sinners to underestimate their fate. Would not the ungodly be more inclined to live selfishly their whole lives without thought of God if they expected after death to face ultimate extinction rather than eternal punishment? The unsaved would probably like annihilationism to be true. Good point. That's a good quote. Very good quote. So that's what these false beliefs causes you to have a lack of a fear of the Lord, a lack of respect more for God, and, and just understanding that hell is a serious, horrible place, but you don't have to go there. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, I want to cover something else. Yes. Uh, you know, they say that you know, the fire, a lot of them say the fire is not literal. You know, it's not literal, it's metaphorical or it's figurative, that you'll be burning in your own thoughts, you know, So like it's just a mental thoughts, state? Like a mental state. Okay. A lot of scholars and yes, PhDs teach this. Sadly to say that is true. I could give quotes, but we're going to skip that. I'm just going to read you a few things, and we're going to go more into this further on about that the fire in hell is literal. So I want to read you these two uh, quotes. And this is... Um, uh, in the uh, Holman's Bible Dictionary, page 745. Uh, However, there is strong evidence to indicate that literal language is used and that the Bible does in fact teach literal fire and other sufferings in hell. The parable of the tares in Matthew 13, which discusses eternal judgment, is helpful here. The Son of Man, the world, children of the kingdom, the children of the wicked one, the devil, the end of the world, the angels, the gathering, they are all literal figures in the parable. It is then natural to conclude that the burning of the tares should also be taken literally. Okay, that's very clear. It absolutely is. Uh, one more quote. Uh, A.W. Pink, uh, he, in his teaching on eternal punishment, he said, The final portion of the wicked is spoken of as suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Jude 7. But many say this is merely a figurative expression. We ask, how do they know that? Where has God told them so in his word? Personally, we believe that when God says fire, he means fire. We refuse to blunt the sharp edge of his word. Was the deluge figurative? Was it figurative fire and brimstone, which descended from heaven and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? Were the plagues of Egypt figurative ones? Is it figurative fire which shall yet burn the earth and cause the very elements to melt with fervent heat? 
No, in each of these cases, we are uh, obliged to take the words of Scripture in their literal signification. Let those who dare affirm that hellfire is non-literal answer to God. I think that's really a that's good quote, excellent. too. Yes. One more point that uh, the fire is literal. In Revelation 9, 2, it says the bottomless pit is open during the tribulation, and these demons come out of this bottomless pit. And it says that our air and sky were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Now, if it was a figurative fire, then how did it produce real smoke that darkened our sky? It's a real literal fire that produced that smoke. Good point. You know, so there's many other verses we're going to get to, but I think that's real clear of that. The fire is literal. Absolutely. You know, I had a few polls I just wanted to share with everyone. Um, it just kind of shows you where Americans are heading in their thought process and also Christians or the church is heading right. uh, when it comes comes to things about God or hell. And uh, a Barna poll here, this was um, a little bit older, so it hasn't gotten better, sadly, to say from most of the polls. But uh, this is in March 6th of 09, and it said that not quite half of all born-again Christians, 47%, strongly reject the notion of earning salvation through their deeds. Only 47%? Correct. Not quite half of all born-again Christians strongly. strongly reject the notion of earning salvation through their deeds. So that means more believe that, that you, you have it. to work towards it. Yes, it's not a free gift. When so Ephesians 2.8.9 <laughs> 2, 2, says we're saved by grace, I not know. by works. I know. There's a basic where it shows you how many people don't follow the Word or are not reading the Bible or not right. receiving teaching on the Word that's solid. Um, it also stated that two-thirds of born-again Christians... Uh, segment about 62% strongly believe that Jesus was sinless. Only 62% believe he was sinless. Of born again Christians, yes. And it should be 100%, right? right? If you're a true believer and follower of Christ. To believe Jesus sinned is blasphemous. Exactly. And then a Pew poll in 2012 revealed 50% of born again believers believe that you can earn salvation through good works. Again, and ten percent believe you are you could be reincarnated. Boy, that shows you where a lot of the church is. Yeah, it's it's really um, it's really sad. But also there was a Gallup, uh, Gallup poll on June second of twenty fourteen, and it stated that only twenty eight percent of Americans believe the Bible is the actual word of God and that it should be taken literally. So that's why also mm -hmm. you can see the trend of what people are believing about hell when mm -hmm. only 28% of Americans believe the Bible is the actual Word of God and should be taken literally. And then a LifeWay uh, research poll in October 28th of 2014 stated that a third or 33% believe God the Father is more divine than Jesus, that one in five, 19% say Jesus was the first creature made by God, <laughs> and it also stated 30% say people will have a chance to follow God after they die, which is complete heresy. Yeah. It's false. So um, that LifeWay poll also went on and said about 6 in 10 Americans, or 61%, this again is October 28, 2014, 61% of Americans say hell is a real place. 45% say there are many ways to heaven. And then 53% of Americans say salvation is in Christ alone, which I was surprised that it actually was that high amongst Americans. And so, 
What the, year was this? This is in 2014. Now we're in 2019, so I know the stats, um, sadly to say, most likely haven't gotten better in most of these categories. Right. So anyways, I just wanted to share some of that with you. That's interesting. So you can see the confusion right. that, that's out there um, just on basic biblical doctrines, including health. So in general, people, I think, Bill, they want to be thought of as tolerant, loving, mm -hmm. inclusive of all people. And that is being preached really throughout our society right. in a way that's really twisted and contrary to what the Bible says. And of course, we love every person. Yes. We do not hate anyone. So I'm mm. just going to say that up front. But why don't you give those definitions like what, what inclusivism right. and so forth is? Well, that's what, when you embrace universalism or annihilationism, most of those teachers, they uh, promote inclusivism or pluralism. They incorporate that into their belief. And inclusivism on the book, in the book Hell on Trial, page 229 says uh, what it, the definition is, God forgives followers of the world's religions on the basis of their response to their revelation they have. People can receive the gift of salvation without knowing the giver or the precise nature of the gift. So in other words, it's open to everybody. Yeah. And this so. is PhDs, theologians today. Right. The Christians are going to seminary. They're graduating. They're following. So you just have to be in the Word. You have to be in the Word of God for yourself. Right. You know, so that inclusivism is what's becoming more popular. Yes. And then also pluralism. In the book Hell on Trial, page 229, it says pluralism states that all religions are legitimate ways of worshiping God. All religions. So it doesn't want to exclude anybody. And that's where a lot of the church is heading, unfortunately, to believe that all roads lead to God. You don't want to exclude anyone. We want to include everybody. Yet Jesus made it clear there is only one way to heaven. And it, he is inclusive in that the whole world is included exactly. to come. Exactly. He's invited to receive They're Christ. They're invited. Yes. But people are the ones that reject the you know uh, Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. They reject him. Uh, he's made the offer to everyone. So I think uh, uh, in Hell Under Fire, I want to read this one quote, uh, page 180 and 181. John Hicks states, All major religions are essentially on par, sharing a generic transcendent unity. All pluralists involved reject the premise that God has revealed himself in any unique or definitive sense in Jesus Christ. He is simply one of the many great religious leaders who have been used by God to provide salvation for humankind. He's just one of the many. This is a Christian leader, wow, supposedly. That's sad. But you, you, I don't believe you can be saved and say that statement. I know, because a lot of people can be professors at seminary or theologians and not be saved. Right, right. So, you know, so, um, you know, they, they also, the problem they have is, the universalists and the annihilationists, they want to see uh, where if someone goes to hell, that they, they spend only so much time there, so they're paying off their sin. Yes. You know, th it's like they say the crime doesn't fit the punishment, so a person should only be there a few years or whatever, how many years, and then they paid for their sin. So they, they call that um, re remedial or redemptive punishment. See, there's three okay. kinds of punishment. There's preventative, remedial, Remedial was also called redemptive or retributive. 
So they're saying it should be remedial or redemptive, the type of punishment in hell. So, so that you can work it off, basically. Right, basically you can work it off, which comes back to works. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says we're saved by grace, not by works. Titus 3, 5 says not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Galatians 2, 16, many others talk about the works will not save us. Exactly. But they believe that if you paid off the time, see, but if you paid off the time, that would constitute works. And you rejects know. the power of the blood of Jesus to right. wash away our sins. A person be saying, see, I paid off my time in hell. And so that would represent works. But they're saying, I paid it off, so I should be let out of hell. Mm -hmm. Yet our, our time, that's the wrong premise. Time is the wrong premise because our time is not valuable enough to pay for our sins. Only the shed blood of Jesus is valuable enough to pay for our sins. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And it has to be the shed blood of Jesus because he's the eternal God and he died to pay for our eternally deserved sin. Yes. But I just want to read this uh, real quickly. Preventative punishment is a penalty uh, meted out to summon uh, to someone to deter others from transgressing. Here's an example. A teacher sending uh, a ringleader of the classroom uh, disruption to the principal's office. The effect on the rest of the class are usually dramatic. So it's preventative. They send the one the, to the dean's office so that causes the rest of the class to straighten, straighten their act up. Straighten up, sure. That's preventative. That's good. And preaching about hell is preventative. It's, we're trying to prevent people from going there. Absolutely. So it doesn't uh, incorporate that. But remedial punishment or redemptive punishment is a penalty inflicted to bring about improvement in the persons punished. Example, a teacher keeping students after class to finish an overdue assignment. The punishment is intended to make the student think twice before coming to class unprepared. So see, that it's, uh, it's, it's trying to bring improvement into the person. Yes. But hell, the punishment in hell is not to bring improvement. It's uh, retributive punishment. It's deserved punishment. You know, and then uh, there's a long explanation So that would that. go along with Romans. It says the wages of sin is, is death. death. Right. You know, they're deserved wages or to be paid for their sin. Right. right? So our sin deserves eternal punishment. It's not uh, that we can better our character in hell and then be let out. Our, the character won't be bettered for a person in hell anyway, but even if they were let out, they'd still have their fallen nature and they could never enter heaven with that fallen nature because Revelation 21, 27 says, he'll let nothing in the heaven that defiles or corrupts. And you'd still have that fallen sinful nature in hell and you'd only repent if you ever did was to get out of the, the torment, not because you fell in love with the loving God and realized what he did on the cross for you. Exactly. So that's the whole difference there. But that's that uh, part of their thing is this, um, uh, punishment that they have trouble with. They, and here's a quote. I just want to read this real quick. This is from Clark Pennock. He's a uh, another leading evangelical teacher in the book Hell Under Fire, page He's passed 207. Away now. He just passed away. Yeah. Uh, well, in 11, ago, I think yeah. it was. But he said, what, what purpose of God would be served by the unending torture of the wicked except sheer vengeance and vindictiveness? Such a fate would spell endless and totally unredemptive suffering. See, there's unredemptive or remedial suffering. Pointless. There would be a serious disproportion between sins committed in time and the suffering experienced forever. So he's saying the crime doesn't fit to punishment also. That's two points he made there. Yes. It's not supposed to be redemptive, but they don't understand that time is the wrong premise. 
it's not based on time, it's based on relationship because our time is not valuable. So they're, they're equating it the same way as people do on earth with someone serving a jail sentence, right? right? They've paid right. off their time, now they should be let out. Right. And also they're not realizing that who we've sinned against that our sin against a holy God is deserving of eternal punishment. Yes, and you have that in a video, right? Right. Um, on our website again is uh, an eternal hell is justifiable. Right. Which so you explain you explain that. that so excellently. So if you haven't watched that video, I encourage you to see that. Yeah. It, it, it you understand why who we've sinned against a holy, omnipotent, perfect, eternal God. Therefore, our sin is deserving of eternal punishment. You know. But again, Jesus took the punishment. We yes, don't have to. Yes, thank you. It's Lord. our choice. Okay, you know? so that was that was really um, informative to understand those different types of punishment. Yeah, I think that is really important to understand that, so people can grasp. Yes. You know, you know and uh, you know, people think, you know, that God is. They might think God's not loving for sending someone to hell. He doesn't send someone. But also, you remember, it's the same God that died a horrible death on the cross to keep us out. So That's why, loving. So why was Christ's punishment? Why did it have to be so severe? Because sin is so severe. In Romans 7, uh, God says sin is extremely sinful to God. It's offensive to God. So see, God, you know, G he could have just had Jesus head over the head with a board and died. Sure, But that sure. wouldn't be a severe punishment. And our sin deserves such a severe punishment that Jesus took on all that beating. And all the and sins of the whole world. And the sins said. of the whole world and all the diseases and yes. everything he took. We can't even conceive no. of the torment he took on for us because that's how severe sin is yes. to God. But see, because Jesus is so loving, God's so loving, um, he took on that punishment. But, you know, Jesus could have said, I, I, let's just have, have me hit over the head, you know. I mean, but that wouldn't work because it wouldn't have covered God's justice. He yes. was saying that, no, it deserves more of a punishment than that. And his so, wrath was poured out on Christ also. Right, he on poured the cross. out his wrath on Jesus on the cross. So that's amazing that Jesus, Jesus and God said that uh, the punishment should be severe. And so God didn't even dial it back. He I know, took on for the his full own son. amount of punishment on the cross. Because he is completely just. And right. so. So Christ had to endure that. So we are arrogant to think that we can question God's justice when Christ paid, Jesus Christ paid such a price right. to satisfy God's justice, right? Right, exactly. Okay. I want to go on to the next point. I know we've got so much to cover here, but I want to talk a little bit about eternal because a okay. lot of them have trouble and they say eternal doesn't mean eternal. And that is absolutely false scripturally. The, the word eternal is used 70 times. And 67 wow. of the 70 times, it's referring to God and His eternal nature and so forth, and also our eternal salvation and so forth, and eternal hell. Only three times it could be interpreted as um, a certain age period. And they're used with talking about uh, when man was created from that time on, then it's a period of time. So it's just when man was created at the beginning of okay. creation. Man didn't exist forever like God did. Yes. So it's just three verses that are clear that it's not talking about God or his uh, heaven or hell. So, but anyway, I just want to give some definitions. First of all, 2 Corinthians 4, 18 says, while, this verse says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. 
A.W. Pink said this in his teaching Eternal Punishment. Now, it is obvious that if the things temporal should last forever, there would be no antithesis between them and the things eternal. It is equally obvious that if the things eternal are not are merely age long, then they cannot be properly contrasted with things that are temporal. The difference between, between things temporal and things eternal in the verse is as great as the difference between things seen and things not seen. Do you see the point there? He's, he's comparing the antithesis between things temporal and things eternal. Yes. So it must, it's the opposite of things temporal. So eternal means forever and ever and ever. That same word is used in Matthew 25, 41, where Jesus said uh, um, that uh, these should go in everlasting life and these should go in everlasting punishment. The word everlasting is the word uh, ionios. So just as heaven is everlasting, so is hell everlasting. But listen to this, Matthew 25, 41, Jesus said, depart from me, cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, most people agree that the devil will be in hell for all eternity. They yes, most people. Right. There's even some that believe he's going to get saved. You know, the, some of the extreme yeah, universalists. Yeah, that would be the fringe. Yeah, that would be the fringe. But so he said here that, uh, depart from me, you cursed. He's talking about people that rejected him, that didn't follow his ways. He said, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil. So he just told you people are going to the same place as the devil. Good point. Number one. Number, but number two, if you want to go on with the word everlasting, if you think it doesn't mean everlasting, then Jesus, uh, God defines it in Revelation 20.10 when he said, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, he just defined everlasting as day and night forever and ever. You see that? Oh, that's good. That is crystal clear. So the, the devil and people will be there everlastingly, day and night, forever and ever. And the same word everlasting is used in Romans 16, 26 about the everlasting God. 2 Peter 2, 11, uh, everlasting kingdom of our Lord. Uh, Revelation 14, 6, everlasting gospel. Hebrews uh, 13, 20, everlasting covenant. Uh, John 6.40, everlasting life, and on and on it goes. So that word everlasting, if you're going to change the meaning of it, then God is not everlasting. His kingdom is not everlasting. The gospel is not everlasting. That's, no, it means everlasting, just what it says. Yeah, that's really clear. That's so excellent. Yeah. And so there's so many more verses I could give you here about okay. that. But we I'm are actually running out of time again, so oh I just goodness. wanted to let you know, okay. sadly to say. Um, we have um, a couple minutes left, though. So what would you like to sum up or what would you like to share about this? I know, yes, you gave some great verses last time about God dying for everyone. Right. So he is inclusive. Because he is inclusive. He's, he's died for everyone. But is there any other points? I know you've got a lot of notes. I know. You know, it, the point is, you know, Hell is eternal, it's horrific, but not one person has to go there. He's, because he loves man, he's given us a free will to choose. You have the choice, the ability to, to say, you know, I believe what Jesus said is true. It's up to you. You can reject his words, but he said, Matthew 12, 37, your own wor words will condemn you. And Revelation 20, 15 says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God actually has a book and he's going to look to see if our names are in it on Judgment Day. You can make sure your name's in it right now by choosing to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and repent of your sins. 
That's all you have to do. Do you want to? Would you like to lead? In case there's one person out there, right. or more, um, would you like to lead them yes. in a prayer? I think it'd be good. Yes. Okay. If that's you, and you'd say, Bill, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to take a chance with my soul. I want my name in His book. Well, right now, just say this prayer. Repeat these words. It's going to come from your heart, and you're not just fitting Jesus in your life. You're making you're uh, making a change of life. You're repenting, turning away from a sinful lifestyle, and agreeing to follow Jesus. You're committing your life to Him. If you're willing to do that, then say this prayer. And He'll give you the strength to follow Him. That's right. Right. He will give you the strength. You don't have to. It's not in your strength. It's in His. But right now, you have to be willing to turn away from the from the sinful lifestyle. God will give you a new nature, a new heart, a new spirit, and He gives you the grace or the ability to stand against that sin. Yes. So, okay, go just ahead. say this prayer. Say, Dear God in heaven. Dear God in heaven. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've sinned. And I cannot save myself. And I cannot save myself. I believe you sent your son Jesus. I believe you sent your son Jesus. To die on a cross for me. To die on a cross for me. That he was crucified. That he was crucified. Died and was buried. Died and was buried. But rose again. But rose again. And lives forevermore. And lives forevermore. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. I receive you. I receive you. As my Lord and Savior. As my Lord and Savior. You are the Son of God. You are the Son of God. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. And I now confess. And I now confess. I'm a born-again Christian. I am a born-again Christian. Going to heaven. Going to heaven. And I'll serve you. And I will serve you. All the days of my life. All the days of my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, praise God. Now that you said that prayer, go and tell somebody what you've done. You know, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. So go do that. Thank you so much for today and for joining us. We're going to continue, I think. This is supposed to be just two parts, but I think <laughs> I we're going to continue so to it cover. on. There's more to cover. So join us next time. And thank you again for being here. And God bless you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe rate this program, and share it on social media outlets. To stay in touch with us and learn more about this ministry, consider checking out our resources at soulchoiceministries.org.